On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Listening to the Career Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes, and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. Welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Today we have Matt Rawlings, who started as an A-list session cat in Nashville, came out to LA for a little while where he honed his film scoring, composing, arranging, and writing chops, and went back to Nashville, and now he's producing, composing, and also pursuing his own artist career with the likes of Willie Nelson, Eric Clapton, Lyle Lovett, Billy Joel, Johnny Cash, the Dixie Chicks, Steve Martin, Sheryl Crow, Bruce Springsteen, Randy Newman, Kenny Rogers... Dude, the list won't stop. It just keeps going on and on and on. Matt Rawlings is truly the epitome of what I like to call a career musician, and I'm sure you'd agree. Currently, he's producing an album for the band Blues Traveler, and he won two Grammys for producing albums for Willie Nelson. Now sit back and relax and listen to Matt tell you all about it right here on the Career Musician Podcast. And... <laughs> And uh, and remember, it was like we were doing American Idol, like nice. like it was a special day where they were doing just like guitar vocal and piano vocal. And that's right. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the last time I saw you. That's to my memory, it is. Well, that I think that is the last time we saw each other. So I, you know, it's so funny because was Lucy Woodward on that date? Lucy Woodward was on that date. That's exactly. It was a day okay. I met her. We were at Simon Cowell's house. Yes, at his house in, in Beverly Hills. Hills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like on one of those those uh, boulevards in Beverly Hills, right? That's right. Matt Rawlings, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast, brother. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Uh, yeah, late, dude. Late than never. I remember back in the day when I first moved to Nashville, you were one of the A-list cats that I was so nervous about meeting. <laughs> you know, because in Nashville, at least, you know, I don't know if I don't think it's like that anymore. The culture has shifted so much in the music. Uh, but at least here it has. But, you know, when you first get to Nashville, 
everybody's like, oh, well, you got to watch out for the A-list cats, man. You can't fuck around with the A-list cats, you know. Don't get in their way. Be cool, you know. Right. <laughs> and then when I finally met you, you were the nicest guy in the world, you know. All of them, a bunch of knuckleheads, everybody. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's, uh, there, you know, I, I, there were a couple guys when I moved to town. I won't name names. Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple guys that were, because when I moved to town, I moved to town in 86. And, okay. Uh, and I had, you know, a, just a handful of names, and I would call around and say, hey, I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And there was, there was a couple guys that were like, well, it's a pretty long list, son, you know. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, a year later, I was running into them on sessions and stuff, so it, it all it all smoothed over. It all got good. Man, I totally get that. Now, like like I just kind of, you know, referred to, back in the day, it seemed like it was easier to break into a scene, quote, unquote. Um, oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so you do agree? Uh, yeah. How do? You, what are your thoughts on that? You know. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is there is that there used to be a couple of things like there there used to be a middle class in the music business. You know, uh, like there used to be in the world. You know, like uh, and so the middle class is you you uh, in Nashville anyway. The middle class was you you. You know, you go out and, and you know, and that it, it that dovetails with the notion of like an apprenticeship system mm. that, that really existed, and and there were a number of factors to that. One of them was um, the songwriting community, and and Nashville was set up as a place where not only musicians played on records, but songwriters wrote songs. And these songwriters weren't artists; some of them were, but most of them weren't. Right. They were songwriters, and they wrote songs every day alone or in pairs or back then sometimes in threes but usually it was just one or two and then they most of them wrote for a publishing company and the publishing company had song pluggers and they would turn in songs mm -hmm. and the song pluggers would go out you know and pitch songs and every artist you know back then all these artists they'd make one record a year maybe a christmas record in there but right. But and then for every record that was going to be made, there was a pitch sheet and the pitch sheet said who the artist is, who the producer is and what they're looking for. The song pluggers would call up the representative and say, I got a batch for you. When can we meet? And the song pluggers would go sit in the office with the producer and play songs. And then if they liked a song, they would put it on hold. And then so so all of these songs that are getting pitched are demos of songs that have been written so all mm. of these demos have to get made and so the middle class of the session world then were all of these musicians hundreds of them who prime their primary work was playing on demos and so all of the you know i mean you would i'd go to tree tree publishing which is sony now but it you yeah. know sony tree but i'd go to tree publishing and you'd show up at 10 and you'd cut five songs in a three-hour session wow. you know you'd learn it you'd get one run through and then like the red light was on and you and then you'd move on if there were any fixes immediately after you got the track you know it was just it was such a a factory um in, in that it was you know they had to get all these songs cut and and it was this amazing training ground you learn how you know, you learned how to read a chart right the first time. You learned how to craft a part quickly. And it wasn't about, like, this has to be the greatest part ever played in the world, but it has to be an effective part in the style. I play rhythm here. I'm going to fill the second verse. Here's the vocabulary of my fills. You know, all that right. stuff. You learned and you learned and you kept doing. And then eventually, some producer would hear some demo and he would hear, like, this piano part and go, who played that piano part? Let's get that guy to play on this song. 
Ah. And you'd get the call and you'd go up. So there's the apprenticeship, the middle class, and you start moving up. So, you know, that's how you broke in. And, and you know, you, you start out before you're even playing on demos. You show up at writer's nights and you meet songwriters. You say, hey, I'm, I'm right. man, I'm a piano player. I'd love to, like, I got a little reel of stuff I played on. I don't know if you if you got somebody you use for demos, but, you know, I'm available and I'd love to work with you. I love your songs. And that would lead to eventually getting an opportunity. I mean, my, my first demo session was at a place called County Q. I don't know if you remember County Q, but at County yeah. Q started, these two guys, uh, Paul, God, what were their last names? Paul and Scott, these two guys, and they started it in the basement of their house in Donaldson, <clears throat> and and they did demos. That was their deal. And songwriters would go, and they would have these packages. And Paul played drums, and Paul Scolton and Scott uh. Mary. Paul Scolton and Scott Mary. Paul played drums, Scott played bass, and then they would hire guitar, piano, steel, you know, uh, wow. whatever, maybe, you know, two guitarists. And so they, the songwriters would go, okay, I've got three songs to do. Okay, here's your price. What do you need? What instruments? You need a fiddle, no fiddle, steel, no steel, whatever. You go in there and bang, 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 bang. And these guys wound up, they bought a building in Berry Hill, and they became this really big operation, you know, like multiple wow. rooms and, you know. But that's where it started. And that was like, I don't know, 1987, probably my first one of those. Wow. So, yeah. man, like just from what you described, perfect explanation, by the way. So, so articulately put, thank you. Um, from that, fast forward to now. So you're looking at, you know, geez, 20, 30, some odd years, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're talking some, yeah. some, some years in between. Yeah, yeah. I have a two-part question, really. All right. All right. Number one, how does somebody like yourself, who then evolved to be on the A-list, continue to maintain that, okay? Yeah. Number two, is it possible for a newbie to do that now? Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as the newbie question, I'll, I'll address that part first. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to say because, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not now a part of A-list Nashville session world. Like ah. that's not what that's not what I do now. I mean, I did for 20 years here. I right. went to LA. I did more sessions, but I also got more into composing and arranging and really yes. kind of upped, upped the, the production game. Coming back here, uh, it's a lot more producing records, and I'm also pursuing an artist career. I put a record out this year, and so just so it's it's just as I grow older, you know, my my yes. all of that is is happening. So so I don't really know what what you know. I mean, I I, I got to think it's the same thing in 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 general. That if you're new and you want to do this, you got to go out and you got to meet people at the entry level as much as you can. There's still songwriters that are still needing to make demos. A lot of them do everything themselves, but you can't, right. you know, you can't do an acoustic guitar in the fucking box. I mean, you just, you know, right? You know, you know. If you don't play, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I just mean. Yeah. Like, if you're just sitting there programming, right? You can do a drum track. You can make beats. Like, you can do yeah. all that stuff. Bass yeah. is pretty easy to do. Obviously, keyboards. There's certain things if you're making country demos, steel guitar, fiddle guitar, you know. You so can't you fake still it. You want to get in. You want to, and like always, you need to have the the tools, which are, I mean, when I I teach teach people and I do clinics and master classes and I talk about a couple of things. I talk about uh, uh, um, time, feel, and function. Mm. So, you know, time is, you know, you know what time is. Time is 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 the inner metronome. It's being able to play it, you know, it's, it's being able to play something that feels good at 
100 beats per minute and 150 beats per minute and everywhere in between, you know, always, right. you know, it's, it's that. Yeah. Um, feel coincides with that, you know, and, and feel in this business is like, how do you play with a drummer? How do you play with a rhythm section? You know, how do you get inside that and help? Because if you're not helping, you're hurting. And right. Then, do you put it on, right on the beat? Do you put it a little behind, a little ahead? You, where do you place it? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's and it's yeah. it's case by case. It, you right. know, right. you and I both. I mean, I've played with a, a, every most of the great drummers around today. Right, right. And right, they right. all put it in some place different. So, <laughs> That's right. so the feel part is like, how do I connect with that and surrender my notion of the feel to this kind of greater thing? Which which basically means, how do I get out of my own way enough? to actually be a part of the conversation that's actually happening, right? Right. Um, and then function is, you know, what's my job? Like my job playing piano on a country record is not the same as it is playing on a pop record or, or playing in a jazz scene, you know. That's so, right. Um, you know, so those skills, like coming into something, like as much as you can have that stuff together and, you know, being a nice guy. Like yes. that is Like that is so much of uh, – of, of of what I think that's so much of a through line to me to successful musicians. I mean, present company included, like, like everybody, oh, most you. everybody I know that has done this for a long enough time and is successful, you know, they're just, they're nice people. They get along right. with people, you know, it's right. Like, that's right. You know, cause you know, being in the studio, it's like, there's a lot of money being spent right. and, and like energetically keeping things like, like, you know, bad energy will kill a session i mean it just will it'll absolutely it'll just dive bomb it so yeah yeah well, so i mean it's it's still that you gotta it's, it's a different scene it's a dip there isn't the apprenticeship there aren't the studios making demos that are hiring a five-piece band everything i mean that those days are gone are gone right but you know they're still getting out meeting people and being the guy they want to hire and then you know gradually riding the wave those yeah, yeah. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Well, this is perfect, actually. Perfect segue, because let's talk about evolution. So I find myself and yourself in this identifiable place where like, oh, wow, like you said, age, knowledge, wisdom, experience, yeah. growth, evolution. Yeah. So 
I'm 48. I'll be 50 in a couple uh, years, obviously. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now I'm going to pursue my own artistry? What the hell is wrong with me? Why didn't I do it 20 years ago? But you just said it and I can identify with it. First of all, kudos to you because the new album is fucking dope. I've been listening to it for the past 20 minutes. Oh, uh, you got Lyle Lovett. You got Willie Nelson. I mean, the Jack Elliott. You got the list goes on. And, of course, you're a Grammy-winning producer with the work you did with w Willie. Yeah, yeah. So, once again, I, I know I'm throwing everything at you all at once. I don't want to keep <laughs> you too right. long. But how did you come upon that and say, yes, you know what? I've been producing, I've been composing, and now I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I, I totally bet. I made a record back in 1990. I made a, tri a trio, jazz trio record. I was, I was signed to MCA. Uh, Tony Brown had this thing on MCA called the Master Series. Ah, nice. And it was this instrumental, really cool little part of MCA in Nashville and John Jarvis and yes. uh, Strength and Strength Numbers, which was like Jerry Douglas and Mark O'Connor. And I remember that the Mark O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool deal. So yeah. he signed me and I made this record. It was me and uh, Patitucci, John Patitucci and Carlos Vega, trio record. And, uh, and so since then... I haven't, it's like it's been 30 years, I haven't made a record, and I, I mean, if I'm really honest, I haven't really known, like, it hasn't been clear to me what what it is I would do on a right. record as right. a solo artist, like, what, like, I can do a lot of things. And I can do them convincingly, right? That's right, because as session so what, cats, that's how we train, right? Yeah. Yeah, we become chameleons, and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the kind of age-old problem of somebody who does what we do, which is that amidst all this mastery, it, my voice it, is in there somewhere, but it's hard to find, right? So, so, so for me, I started. Um, so, pe people would ask, people have asked me like o over the years, like, when are you going to make a, a solo record? And I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what I do. So that. T times things would happen where I would be sitting and this 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 has happened just over the years all the time I'll be it's midnight I'm at my piano and I'll just start playing something will emerge that to me is like oh there it is mm. like that's there it is why mm. you know but I, I could never connect the dots of how I how I make that into a record like when, the minute I start trying to figure that out and make a record it turns into something else right that's right that's right so I started touring with Alison Krauss three years ago Oh, nice. Uh, Jay Belarus is in the band and uh, uh, the drummer. Um, and Jay is this really unique, I don't know if you're familiar with Jay, but he's just really ah. spectacular musician. Please, he does all the T-Bone stuff and oh, yeah. Joe Henry. And he's just this really, you've heard him if you don't know about him. But Absolutely. He, he and I just started, we we uh, uh, we would show up at sound checks. Allison done sound checks. She, she, we just, the band sound checks so the front of house guy can get his uh, get his act together and Jay and I would kind of sh start showing up early and one of us one or the other would just start playing something either he'd start playing this kind of gushy little thing and right. and then and then I would join in and start making something up or the opposite and uh, all of us are on ear in ears except Jay Jay had a wedge super old school guy like <laughs> 1930s drums that he never tunes ah, I know, love it wears a cardigan every day he's like this nice. amazing cat but he had a wedge so we would start playing and he would just stick his voice memo thing and record and record and then he'd send me these little snippets i started this you know it, it was really compelling we started developing this kind of language and wow. it was the closest for me 
to the thing I was talking about where I sit at the piano right. at midnight and it just it's like you know and and I you know it's a I'm I'll be 56 in a month or so and I you know it's just again 11 year old kid been married almost 13 years like life yeah. has life has happened to me and and I've just evolved as a person like my emotional spiritual life has really has really changed, grown, whatever. Um, right. You know, I'm a longtime sober guy. Like all these, all these things, and all that stuff informs what happens when I sit at the piano. So, so anyway, so I just started. We, I was just joking with Jay, like, you know, man, let's let's make a duo record. This is really cool. And so, cut to that. It was summer of 2018. We're on the road. I'm on a break. I'm in Northern California because my wife and son. When I go on the road, they do not stay in Tennessee. They like they go to Northern California. <laughs> Nice. hang out at her folks house and my yeah. son loves it and so um we got a little airbnb uh about 40 minutes away from where they live and just had our own little little kind of staycation so our last night at the airbnb we're in a place called inverness california which is up in west marin we go around tamales bay up highway one and there's this little place above this little town called marshall there's a little place called nick's cove a seafood joint and it's right on the bay and they have a, a, a pier that goes out into the bay and a boathouse at the end of the bay and uh, so we park we've got a 630 reservation we're a little early so we walk out the, the pier and we just we're going to check the boathouse out take a picture do whatever so sounds we, storybook it's like it's, perfect it's, yeah it's totally so we walk into this boathouse and uh, and there's a wood-burning stove and that's stoked it's fire it's crackling there's this wooden table and this old guy sitting at this wooden table with like a sketchbook right right as we walk in there's an upright piano sitting in there and my wife who went in first which is atypical for her but she just she plunked a note down thinking like i mean it's a piano in a boathouse like are there even any strings in this sure enough bonk this whole guy turned around he went oh you gonna play me something and my wife said no that's all i got and I said, I'll play you something. No bench. I, I stood up and I just started playing. I played like some ragtime, then F. Yeah. This yeah. guy, right? Just started playing. And he just, this guy lit up. He just like the lights went on and he started talking to us. He said, ah. He said, are, you know, he said, are you in a band? And I said, oh, you know, I've, I've, I, I wouldn't. You know, I was kind of keeping it close to the vest. I didn't know who this guy was. Said, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I've been in a thousand bands or more. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I was just being, you know, we were just yeah. out for dinner and playing piano for this old guy and he said you know I, uh, i've written two songs in my life and johnny cash recorded the first one it's called a, a cup of coffee and i'm thinking all right what's going on here so i, I played a little more for him he just was talking he's talking he has this he has this sketchbook and he's drawn up like a point of view from the inside of an old peterbilt semi with like dual shifters this whole thing he's drawn and he wow. said uh he said, if I'd have kept doing that, I wouldn't have to play guitar my whole life. And <laughs> so we kept talking. It turns out this is Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and he lives down the oh, road. In, he lives down the road in Marshall, California. He comes up there. He's like eight. He's eight. At that point, he's maybe 80, 84, something like that. Wow. And he comes. He's dressed. He's got his, his he's got suspenders and his button shirt and his oh, jeans nice. and boots and, you know, and uh, we spent an hour with him in this boathouse. He's just telling us all these stories. And we walked back out. He walked us back down the pier. We 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 were able to get into the restaurant finally, and uh, we we uh, and we were both kind of stunned. It was like we'd gone to Avalon or something. Wow. It was this really trippy thing. Went back to our Airbnb uh, after dinner, and I googled him. I I half expected that like this guy had died too. Like we had been visited by someone. You know, it's like right, 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 I expected right. to find log. You know, Ramel Jack Elliott died 2015. Blah blah blah. But nope, there he was. He had management. 
at that point he was still signed to Epitaph out in L.A. Wow. Um, and uh, I started thinking about making music with him. It like really started this. It sparked this thing in me. And uh, and and just as with my producer brain, I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to produce a record on Jack. And I just right. he had made it. The last record he had made was like a year before that um, for Joe Henry. Jay Belarus had played drums on it. It had won the traditional blues Grammy. And so at that point, I had a manager out in L.A. and I talked to him and we were just kind of scheming. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So a couple of weeks later, I'm on another break and I'm at home this time. My wife and I were getting ready to go to bed. And sorry for the long-winded story, but it's no, all, I love it. all love relevant. It. And uh, and I'm talking again about Ramblin' Jack and about producing the record. And she said, Matt, you know, it, it, it's starting to feel like you're kind of chasing this thing. And, uh, you know, and I I grumbled, and, you know, like, ah, what do you mean I'm chasing this? But <laughs> Like but, we do. <laughs> yeah, like we do, right? I had my chase brain on, but... <laughs> We talked and talked more, and she, at one point, my wife, who's, who's brilliant, she said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't you make a record and ask Ramblin' Jack to sing on it? There you go. And it was like the light, it was like the spark plug, the lightning bolt, whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and immediately I started thinking, oh shit, that's an amazing idea. Yeah. Who else I could, who, who else you know, could I? Could ask Lyle, I could ask Allison, could ask Willie. Oh, Willie. I mean, I have Vince. relationships I mean, with these gosh. amazing people. Yeah. And and then I also started thinking about Jay and what Jay and I had been doing together on these sound checks. And I thought, this is the record. This is how I do this. Hey, this is Matt Rawlings, and you are listening to the Career Musician Podcast with my good friend, Nomad. Go behind the scenes with host Nomad to gain inside knowledge of entertainment business from the world's leading musicians, artists, producers, managers, and more. Help us continue to provide you with new and engaging content by getting our ratings up. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon.
So, so it, it was born and just one by one, I started asking artists and then we started sort of curating songs. And, and then when we would pick a song for an artist, I would find a way to reimagine it. And we just, and we cut, everything was cut with just Jay and I and the artist. So I saw that on some of the video spots and I was wondering to myself and saying, hmm, I hear bass, but I don't see the bass player in the session, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We cut, we cut live piano and drums in the same room. So there was no fixing for the two of us whatsoever. And the artist isolated and 95% of all the vocals are live with, with us. Dude, come on. And then I overdubbed, you know, some strings. Yeah. I did bass on some. I did tuba on some. I did banjo. I mean, you know, so I just, I did nice. very selective sort of surgical overdubbing. Right. Just based on, I would live with these tracks and then something would come to me and I'd go, okay, let's, let's do that. And, and, you know, there it goes. It finished it's, up Ed Cherney. Ed Cherney, the, our dear beloved Ed. I saw he, that. He recorded all of it. Um, wow. But then he wasn't able to mix it. So Ryan Hewitt, who's ridiculous out here, uh, mixed it mixed it for me. So Right. Yeah. Man. So, so that's a that, long story. No, that that's is so... I, so that's how I backed into being an artist. I wasn't... I, I, didn't, I didn't plan well, on, on making a record. It just sort of found me, you know? Well, you did it. And I think actually, you know unbeknownst to yourself throughout the process, you actually uh, executed the perfect business plan, if you will. In other words, like, you know, how do you get your record to be noticed? Well, you have celebrity artists join you whom you've cultivated relationships with over the years, and it's all organic uh, because you know these people and they love you and respect you and vice versa. So once again, you know, I know this wasn't your uh, objective, but it it just makes sense. I mean, honestly, that like the only rule was make something beautiful. That was literally that was our motto for the thing. And and if and if something, whether it be like an ask or uh, a scheduling thing, if anything got too hard, uh, we just took a turn, and it just Just ease off off the gas. Just supposed to do something else. Yeah, Yeah, and that's right. it's kind of become a life philosophy for us in, in our house. It's Man. Like, like the mosaic treatment, you know, kind of for everything because it works. You yes. Know? If I start pushing too hard, it's it it's getting to be about me, and and that's rarely the right way to go. <laughs> I can't believe that my wife and I just said that this morning. You know, and, and it relates, like you said, the same here in our household. It relates to pretty much everything in life. If it yeah. becomes too laborious, then you know, hey, you know what? Just let up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. See what happens. Yeah, see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Great, great life advice. Uh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Working. Yeah. What I remember. That's the trick. Yeah. So now let me ask you about this. I remember, yeah. you know, and I'm so upset that I did not make better efforts to come and see you when you were out here. I remember you moved to LA for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And then you moved back to Nashville. What the hell happened? Tell me the whole story. How did that all transpire? Well, so you know, I moved. I'm. I moved to LA in '06. And okay. uh, it was like 20 years to the day, pretty much, uh, from when I moved to Nashville. And oh, it, had wow. just, it had just become time for me to make a change. I yeah. was wanting to pursue composing, film scoring if I could. Yes. And I just felt like, you know, now it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not too old <laughs> to do this. Um, and it, uh, so I did. I moved. Um, I was in a relationship at that point with my now wife. So we wound up getting married uh, in 07, and then, you know, our, our boy Luca came along in 09. Um, and, you know, the film scoring thing, I did a little bit of it, but I really, 
you know, it's a different it's a different game than what I thought it was going to be as far as what the path, what the roads in are. Right. So I just wound up doing other things. I, I cultivated some relationships with uh, a relationship with an amazing lyricist, and we did a bunch of uh, theater writing, which is still going on. Nice. And I, I got hooked up with a bunch of people. Started, I did a bunch of arranging. You know what? One of the greatest things that I t- takeaways from my time in L.A. was this notion of saying yes um, to, to shit that I didn't really know how to do. Right. <laughs> you know? Like it just – I found myself – somebody would make an ask, and I, I would say, yeah, I – yeah, Let's try I it. Know, I know how to do that. And then, you know, I, I what I learned is that almost almost everybody is expecting you to to do great. Like they have an expectation that it's going to be great. And if it's not what they want, they can just say, "Do this different," and you can just you know. Sure. continue with well yeah i know exactly what you mean sure i'll let's try it this way so I, I you know as far as like arranging MDing, all that kind of stuff i just got some great opportunities that allowed me to push in you know out of my comfort zone and um and so that that's a was a real valuable thing and um but there came a time i, I was there almost nine years and so you know I had a so I had a studio with this this great guy. He he died a number of years ago, but my old oh, friend Bill Golson, who uh, was a publisher, and he had one of the great last independent publishers, which is called Criterion Music. Which his dad his dad was Michael H. Golson, Mickey Golson, who was a, like a legendary Tin Pan Alley publisher. Oh wow! Um, and so uh, his company was Criterion, and Bo, his son, had run it for forty years, and. Uh, and he had a building. They had a building in uh, in Studio City, and I rented the entire top floor, like sweetheart deal. I moved all my admin to his company, and just got this amazing space out of the deal. So, but about four years in, he his dad died, Mickey died, and then it became time for him to sell the company. So he sold to to, to Universal, and uh, and he had no need. He had to he owned the building, but he didn't need to have any of his business there. He just had to rent the whole building out, and he sure. moved to moved his operation to Santa Monica. So I was gently and lovingly kicked to the curb. Okay. <laughs> and so, so there, so I, I was there and we had a townhouse in Toluca Lake, which I, I, there's no way I could set up there. So I had to find studio space in LA. So I, for a year I had a room, this place called the firehouse in Pasadena. I don't know if you Yeah, know. love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was wicked expensive. I had one of these small little rooms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, most of another mortgage to, to, to rent it every month. Right. That's where uh, Five Alarm uh, uh, Library Music has their headquarters. Yeah. 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 I don't know if they're still. And they might not be there anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm not yeah, sure yeah. What, what became of it, but it was a cool place for a while. But, but anyway, after a year, I, I, I we decided like this isn't sustainable. So. Right. So we had done very well on our townhouse. The, the market had really gone up. Right. So we thought, let's sell this. We'll make a chunk and let's buy a place where I can bring the studio home, either with a garage to convert or whatever. Right. So we kind of started on that path and we got our, our town home together to put on the market. And in the meantime, I'm looking, I'm looking at Zillow. I'm doing all this research. And I, you know, because the other part of this is our son's in kindergarten and he's in public school there in Toluca Lake, and we don't dig it. So we're like, we got to yeah. do something different for first grade. Yeah. We're not sure what that is. Is it a private? Is it a blah, blah, blah? So all these different, like, where to live, the studio, school. And, I, you know, the price of admission for a place for us that was going to have really what we needed was so at the top of, so of our thing. I know. You know, so yeah. one day I'm just, you know, and, and in the meantime, we put our place on the market, like three cash offers above asking within 36 hours, you know, like, wow. 
So suddenly, like, okay, we're we're selling our place. Yeah. Oh shit! Um, so just one day, I'm sitting there. I'm going through, you know, Zillow, you know, house porn again, <laughs> and I just decided because uh, when I left Nashville, I I said I'm I'm never going to live here again. Right. But I thought, well, what the heck? What does Nashville real estate look like? And I was at that point. That was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! It's so 2012, it's, 2013. Yeah. It, it was like Pandora's box. I suddenly went, "Oh shit!" Right. Like, Look at that. So that just started us on this kind of road back here, and uh, you know, we we moved. So we moved back basically 2015, and uh, and got our and our son's been doing great. He's been in Waldorf school up, up until he's we're homeschooling him now. Yeah, uh, of course. Pandemic homeschooling, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but he's did Waldorf for, first through fifth grade, and it was it was great for him. And uh, and it's been great for me. The Willie stuff. I mean, a, a bunch of really great productions yes. happened, and so yeah. Who knows? It's like wow. You know. Well, listen, this is perfect because it's so funny. Um, I was thinking to myself, and I'm being a thousand percent candid here with the yep. listeners. I was thinking to myself, well, you know, after the interview, I'll ask Matt about the L.A. Nashville thing, yeah. and then I said no. I'm going to ask them during the interview so everybody can hear it because these are the questions that people have. Look, as young, aspiring musicians who want to make a living out of it, right? Yeah. Career yeah. musician or people who are in their 30s or 40s have been doing pretty good, but they want to take it to the next level. These are the questions they have. Should I go to L.A.? Should I go to Nashville? Should I go to New York? Where should I go? Do yeah. I need to relocate? Right? Yeah. These are all yeah. questions we've all wrestled with. And sure. even now, myself, I've been in L.A. for 15 years. I'm considering a move. Yeah. And that's why I'm like talking to you about talking to everybody. Yeah. What do you guys think? What's the scene? I don't know. Like, I'm afraid. I always loved Nashville, but I'm afraid if I go back, it's going to be like starting all over again yeah. and nobody's going to remember me. And it's like, what the hell do I do now? You yeah. know? Yeah. It's, a, I mean, no matter what, it's a leap. I mean, right. Uh, right. And the music business, as you know, is so, is so different than it used to be. Yes. Um, I, I think it's important if you're going to, I mean, you know, if you're just out of college, I think it's okay to go somewhere strictly for the business. Like, I yeah. think that's okay. Um, and, and if that's the case, you know, it's good to have, you know, it's good to have some friends. It's good to have some people there, some support systems, some community going on ahead of time. That's right. Um, People like us making a move, you got to like living there. Like it's, 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 you know, I mean, cause it's family. You got family. I got family. It's gotta be a place, you know, cause you know, it's, it's the music business, uh, you know, the more, the, the more, the more uh, time goes by the less location specific my career gets. Absolutely. You know? So um, I am definitely much more in the mindset of like, let's, let's be somewhere that makes us happy, you know, uh, and uh, you know, that may not be Nashville forever. I mean, right, it's, right. it's, it's, I can't, I can't say. But, uh, right. And um, did you, were you able to find a home with a studio built into it already? No, or did you no, build? We just, you know, we, I found a place, I found a thirties cottage nice. that, that my old friend whose wife is a real estate agent showed me as a pocket listing, hadn't been listed yet. And had it been listed, probably a, 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 a developer would have grabbed it up and, and torn it down and built some big monstrosity. Sure. We bought it and then blew out the back and added a big kitchen and a master suite and built it from the ground up, built my studio out here. Nice. And what part of town are you in? Uh, it's called Sylvan Park. Oh, you know. Yeah, Sylvan Park. Sylvan Park. Yeah. 
Very yeah, nice. So nice. kind of the beginning of West Nashville, but just good old old neighborhoods and Jeff Coffins around the corner. And oh yeah, yeah. Got a bunch of bunch of cats. There's a Greenway, you know, two blocks away. So it's it's a nice family. Good, great walking streets. We got a dog. We walk the dog. Beautiful. Every day. So yeah, That's I mean, awesome. it, you know, it's 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 tough. It's it's more of a leap than it ever was. So I mean. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, I, don't know what, I would advise you. I mean, you're you're an amazing musician. I think you're going to thrive wherever you are. It just yeah. might be that there's a dip. You right. Know? right, right, right. No, it's good. It's good. And and it's funny because my wife and I are in a band together. We have a duo. Oh yeah. Called Nomad and Lola, and that's you know that's our pursuit. Like I'm on my own artistic pursuit now. Yeah. Like I I love playing for other people, whether it's yeah. on on record or, or live. But I would just r much rather play my own music at this Absolutely. point. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I'm the it's same like we're talking about, you know. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah. friends, you know, friends and, and people who are dear to me call me and of course I'm going to play on their music. It's right. what we do, you know. And, and that's what makes it just fun. just like though. the everyday day-to-day -day session sausage. It's right. like it doesn't interest me anymore. Just, just right. and and it's and I, I'm not the guy for it. You know, yeah. I'm just not. Yeah, yeah. You know, so which leads me to like this last final thought. You did Mosaic. Yeah. Uh, you did the album with Willie, right? We did the first one was a Gershwin record. Then Gershwin. there was a Sinatra record, and now there's a second Sinatra record. Al Schmidt is actually finishing the mixes as we speak, and uh, and so the second Sinatra record will come out. Who knows? I I would guess top of next year, and. Uh, Awesome. And then a blues I'm working on a new blues traveler record right now that's we're gonna start mixing and uh yeah, a bunch of more just a crazy it's like I gotta tell you, it's like I've been so busy. I can't remember when I've been this busy. It's fucking nuts. It's That's uh, beautiful. It, it is. It's just very unexpected. Like you figure yeah. oh, we're in a pandemic we can relax. Like no. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really. That's but, awesome. So you you have six you have successfully transitioned over to, you know, full-time producer, composer, yeah. artist. Yeah. Love it. That's a beautiful thing. Matt, everything you've shared with us thus far has been uh, beautiful, uh, you know, words of wisdom. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Matt, do you mind if we close with some uh, rapid-fire questions? I, I don't mind, but I, I had no time to, to prep. So <laughs> uh, I'll do the best I can. I looked at him when, when we we had to cancel our first meeting. I looked at him then yeah. and was sort of formulating, but all that's gone now. So oh, that's I may, all right. I may uh, uh, choke, but, you know, give it a shot. No, I like it on the fly. I like for people to hear the real you, you know. All right. So your favorite food? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chicken. Chicken. There you go. I like it. I would ask you your favorite libation, but you're sober now. So your favorite clean anti-libation. You know, I like um, 
uh, I like bulletproof coffee, and I like a uh, 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 like a seltzer water with cranberry in it. Love that. Yeah. Favorite sport if you are into sports. My favorite sport is cycling. I think because I'm a cyclist. So, yeah. and that's actually really good low impact exercise. Oh yeah, I got the Peloton upstairs, and I got the road bike when the weather's good. So nice, absolutely. How do you spend your free time? Although it sounds like you don't have much now. I don't. My free time is 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 doing anything with my son, and you know, trying to do it with my wife. And I like you know, I like to watch movies. Love that. Love that. Speaking of movies, what's your favorite thing that you've been streaming or watching lately? <sighs> There's, <laughs> I got so many guilty pleasures in that world. There's a new season of this show called Bosch. Yes. On Netflix. Yep. That just came out, so that's that's the latest. That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, what activities do you enjoy on those long flights that we used to take? Movies, baby. It's always so, movies. See, they, it sounds like me on the same way. All right, what's the last thing you listened to that you had no professional affiliation with musically? Um, <laughs> uh, the Sons of Champlin. And who's that by? The Sons of Champlin is a. They were a band in the '60s, um, and they were Bill Champlin. You know Bill Champlin. Bill of Champlin course. In Chicago. Uh, now I do. And Bill Champlin's first band, and his partner in that first band was a man named Tim Kaine, who is my wife's dad. Wow. So, and Tim Kaine played saxophone and wrote all the horn parts for their band, and we were just listening to that uh, while we carved pumpkins in the kitchen about three hours ago. Talking about full circle, that's amazing, dude. Yeah, yeah. How awesome yeah. is that? All right, and what artist changed you when you said, oh man, I heard this and I knew I had to be a musician the rest of my life? Uh, you know, the, my first piano influence, Ramsey Lewis. Uh, nice. He was the first one, man. Ramsey Lewis, 1968, Way in the Water. They, you know, that did something to me. And then Oscar Peterson after that, for sure. Oh, see? Oscar Peterson or oh, – here's a new one. Oscar Peterson versus Art Tatum. Which one? Oh, you know, I mean, Art Tatum's the source. You yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, art art is was uh, just a, a – a, a, I mean, it was a tour de force every time he said, you know, it was just, right. it was, our art was uh, like an alien. I mean, it was otherworldly. Right. You know, the Oscar, there was a, a refineness, like he had his vocabulary, yeah. his swing, his, I saw, I saw Oscar live once when I was a kid and he started out the concert with about 45 minutes by himself, just playing stride, all this <sighs> stuff. Unbelievable. The, the, the trio came on the do, I mean, the, you know, bass and yeah. drums came on and it was great, but the energy dropped. Wow, look at that. Yeah. 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 I mean, th both of those cats, cats are just like, wow. Oh, everybody you named. Okay, you've had a lot of beautiful collaborations. Is there any one dream collaboration that you're like, man, this would be cool? Ah, uh, wow. I mean, you know, so many. I've always wanted to, I mean, I've played with James Taylor a few times just on little shows. I'd love to actually collaborate. I think that'd be a beautiful thing. God, no, I can't be. even. There's so many. I'm going to come up with them all after yeah. uh, we're off the phone. <laughs> so uh, that's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Hey, listen. Final question. Okay. What would you do if you weren't a career musician? <laughs> <laughs> I have no. I, I mean, I, you know, the easy the easy answer is to teach. I guess. Yeah. Um. I, I, you know, it's literally the only thing I know how to do. So. And you know what? 95% of 
of every interview. We all say the same thing. It's like yeah. we're in this yeah. for the long haul, man. Yeah. I had, you know, I worked with Larry Carlton for a number of years, uh, years ago. That's right. And, and he would say, he said, if you don't have to do this, don't do it. Mm. <laughs> he would tell, he would tell people, young people would ask him. He was like That's hardcore, right. like, yeah. you know, if you, he would basically say, if you got a plan B, take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah. Matt, this has been awesome, bro. You are the man. I really appreciate you making some thank, time for us. Thank you so much, my friend. It's been a pleasure. It's great to see you and uh, keep me posted on your plans. I'd love to uh, love to stay in touch and uh, and hopefully see you when the uh, when the madness ends. Absolutely, I'm gonna drop you a line for sure. Being a career musician is more than just gigs and sessions. Are you a career musician? Find out on the Career Musician Podcast, streaming everywhere. Check out the brand new Career Musician YouTube channel. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man. Writing the songs in this one man band. A nomad. This is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.